Our Old Testament reading this evening is Joshua chapter 7, continuing on in our series, our evening series in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, we'll read the entire chapter. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the, children, the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, But they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have put both stolen and, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the households which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerites, and he brought the family of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. 
when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Let's pray together. Father, uh, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, grant us. What we are not, make us. More and more into the image of your Son, conformed to him in true holiness. We pray you accomplish this now by your Spirit and your Word, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let me begin tonight with a a quote. It's this. I have had a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration to God are not sufficiently attended to by modern Christians in this country. Politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of lively piety in too many of us. The subject of personal godliness has fallen sadly into the background. Sound Protestant and evangelical doctrine is useless if not accompanied by a holy life. It is worse than useless. It does positive harm. Those words sound like they could have been written yesterday. They were written in 1877 by J.C. Ryle. Uh, the Bishop of Liverpool. If, if those words were true then in Ryle's day, as he looked around at, at the sin he saw around him, how, how true are they also of our day? The, uh, I don't think we've seen improvement in godliness in the last 150 years. I mean, we can uh, safely assume uh, that, that uh, our, our culture, our lives, we've drifted farther and farther from the standard of God's Word. And it seems like the further that the culture drifts, the further the church drifts, With it, it's a great danger that we judge our holiness relative to the holiness of the culture instead of relative to the holiness of God. That God does not say in his word, be holy in comparison with the world around you. He says, be holy as I am holy. It's easy to compare ourselves to the culture around us and and say, yes, there are some distinctions here. But, but, but so much of the time we just drift with 
the culture. Our culture is not known for serious thinking about God or known for, for living seriously uh, in light of who God is. And, and it seems like the church today is not known for these things either, for, for, for a seriousness about God and the things of God and a commitment to holiness, a total consecration of, of life, seeking, seeking to obey God, walk in the fear of the Lord, pursue a godly life. Holiness is, in, uh, uh, is, is not in high demand in our day. Holiness is the issue that Joshua chapter 7 is really addressing here this evening. We see in Joshua 7 uh, a breach of holiness in the people of God. And, and as we see this, uh, we, as we see a sin, we see the absolute necessity of holiness. Without holiness, God will not bless His people. He's not, he's not going to, to go with them and fight for them and prosper them if they are not a holy people set apart for Him. Holiness is necessary. It's indispensable for the people of God. We don't only see the necessity of holiness here. We also see the uh, intensity of holiness. There is a terror to this text here in Joshua 7. We saw a bit of this last time in Joshua chapter 6 as God's holiness demands the utter destruction of Jericho. Well, here we see that uh, uh, turn now on a member of God's covenant people. Right, the, the judgment that fell on Jericho is now falling on a son of Israel because this son of Israel was acting like a man of Jericho. And God says, it is not enough that you belong physically, visibly in the covenant. You have to, you have to belong to me and live a holy life before me. Holiness is, is an intense thing. It's, it's, it's a deadly serious thing. This text should, uh, should, should wake us up to that. We also see here just how desperately we need holiness and, and how desperately we need God to do something about it for us. As we read the text here, as we see Achan and, and his sin, we see a warning to us and, 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 a, and an encouragement to us to run to the mercy of God and seek His grace for us. Well, the text here it does these things. It, it shows us the necessity of holiness, the intensity of holiness, the, our, our great need for God to, to, to do something for us with regards to holiness. And it does this as it works through two things, as it works through the cost of sin and then uh, the, the cleansing of Israel. We see here the first, the first thing, verses 1 through 15, the cost of sin. As you come to chapter 7, verse 1, there's a sudden change from where we were in chapter 6. Chapter 6 ends on a, on a glorious note. If this were a movie, the soundtrack at the end of chapter 6 would be, would be, would be soaring. We just defeated the enemies. Uh, it would be glorious and triumphant and victorious. Listen to the end of chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. But then the, the scene would change and it would shift to, to uh, uh, something uh, with, with, with music that's a lot more tense, dreadful. Maybe think of, think of uh, the theme of Jaws. You know, there's this low, ominous note sounding through chapter 7, verse 1. The, the, the mood is suddenly entirely different. Listen to chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
All is not well in Israel following the Battle of Jericho. The text here tells us that Israel, as a whole, is guilty before God because, because one of the men of Israel has sinned. You see here the, the importance of Israel's corporate identity. They are one as a people. Uh, they're, they're one body. They're a whole. So when one sins, the whole nation is going to feel the consequences. And we see this in the chapter here. Now, God describes their sin here, the sin of Israel, in verse 1 as treachery. Um, the Hebrew word that, the, uh, that uh, our text translates as trespass literally means treachery or, or betrayal, unfaithfulness, treason. Achan has committed treason against his covenant Lord. He's acting like a member of, uh, he's acting like a Canaanite, like someone who is not part of Israel. What has he done? We're told that he took of the accursed things. We saw last time the accursed things are the devoted things, the things that that are devoted to destruction for the Lord. As the people of Israel attacked Jericho, God called them to devote the whole city to destruction. Like this means like to turn it into a sacrifice, turn the whole thing into a sacrifice to God. God tells them that they're to destroy the whole city like this, devote it to him uh, for destruction, and to save for him uh, uh, the gold, the silver, the precious metals, and devote those things to him entirely to the Lord. God, God is saying that, that, that he is the one who's come in and defeated Jericho. This is, the, this is the first fruits of Israel's victory in the land. And God is saying, dedicate those first fruits of the spoil all to me. But it's too much for Achan. Uh, he comes in. He sees these things that he desires. These things devoted to God. And he devotes them to himself. He takes what God is owed and pays it to himself. He thought he deserved what God alone deserved. Well, we do that too, don't we? Uh, this is a temptation that we also face with, with our resources, with, with our relationships. We, we neglect or begrudge the offering that we owe to the Lord. We see our resources as belonging to us, not as belonging to God. Uh, we, we see our relationships as belonging to us, not as belonging to God. We see ourselves as little petty kings of our own little kingdoms, not as ambassadors and servants of Christ and His kingdom. We want, uh, we want to have the rights to what God has the rights to. We want to devote things to us, not to Him. And this is exactly what Achan was doing. What's the cost of Achan's sin? The anger of the Lord burning against Israel. And so that's the note that chapter 7, verse 1 sounds, that low, ominous note, as Israel then goes on to the uh, next battle that they face, the battle with the city of Ai. In the background, the the undercurrent is that God's anger is burning against them. And so we're going to see how this plays out and the cost of Achan's sin. So the people of Israel go up to fight Ai. They don't know about Achan's sin. They're not aware of the anger of the Lord burning against them. seems like they're still riding high from their victory over Jericho. Um, Joshua, uh, the, Jericho is finished, but it's, it's as though it's still smoking in the background. Joshua immediately turns his attention to the next, uh, the next part of the conquest, the city of Ai. Some people see here as Joshua does this that he's being overconfident or that he's failing to pray to the Lord and ask for his wisdom here. But I think it's just, the text doesn't comment on that. The only fault the text finds is really Achan's sin and his treason. Uh, So I I think Joshua is being a good leader. 
He's finished one victory. He's not going to rest. He's going to press on in obeying the Lord to fight the next battle of the conquest. So he sends spies out to Ai. Uh, verses 2 to 3 quickly recount what they, what they do. They go, they, they report that the city is small, it's vulnerable, it's only going to take two to 3,000 to go and defeat this city. No need for the whole force to, uh, to go up there. So Joshua sends just 3,000 up to attack. And then the Hebrew uh, of verses 4 to 5 tells of their defeat. And it gives it to us in these short and punchy, sudden clauses. Let's listen to a, a, a literal a more literal translation. And the people went up from there, 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote 36 men, and they pursued them from before the gate as far as Sherebim. And they smote them upon the slope, and the hearts of the men melted and became as water. It's a, it's a complete rout. The, the, the men of Ai overcome them. There is no mention of any resistance that the men of Israel put up. It's a total, utter failure. What has happened here? This was supposed to be an easy fight. What has happened? Has God abandoned Israel? Well, what we're seeing here is the cost of sin. Achan thought his little act of treason would go unnoticed. And even if God noticed it, well, well, it wouldn't affect his, his fellow Israelites. It's just a little sin between him and the Lord. But now he's guilty for the deaths of 36 Men, because he took what belonged to the Lord for himself. The cost for Israel is that they lose these men, they lose this battle, and their confidence is deeply shaken. Uh, we see this in, in Joshua's words as he cries out to the Lord. He wonders there even for a moment if God has, has brought them here to destroy them, if it would not have been better off for them just to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So their confidence is shaken. Joshua's concerned for the glory of God. He's, he's concerned the other nations are going are to hear of this and mock God uh, and, and rush and, and, and surround the people of Israel and defeat them. Israel's confidence is deeply shaken. This is the cost, this, this is the cost of their sin. They're facing uh, uh, God stepping back from blessing His promises to prosper them and give them victory. Well, then God responds to Joshua in verses 10 to 15 to tell him that, no, this didn't happen because I brought you out here to destroy you. It's not that I've forsaken you, Israel. No, it's that there's a member of Israel who's sinned, and in so doing, he's brought God's anger down on the whole nation. In verse 11, God brings out the heinousness of Achan's sin. And and he, he, he emphasizes it with this word that's translated also, or even um, the, uh, the Hebrew here again is quite interesting, the way this word which we translate as also or even keeps coming back and as the Lord tells the people of uh, Achan's sin. He says, Israel has sinned and even broken the covenant which I commanded them, even taking from the things devoted to, to destruction, and they even stole and even deceived and even put it among their own things. God is piling on there. He's, he, there's, there's this aspect of disbelief to the Lord's words. Can you believe all that Achan has done against me? Right in the face of this glorious, gracious victory, I just won for you, Israel. One of you has come and, and has robbed me of what is rightfully mine. And this is, this is our tendency uh, to... To not treat sin the way God treats sin here. God speaks of this sin as a heinous thing. 
And so it is. But it's our tendency, right, to, to downplay sin, to downplay our own sin. J.C. Ryle, again, has a, has a wonderful quote on, on this, on how we downplay our sin and don't see it at the level of heinousness that the Lord sees it and communicates about it here. J.C. Ryle says this, I do not think that mortal man can at all realize the exceeding sinfulness of sin in the sight of that holy and perfect one with whom we have to do. We, born in sin, surrounded by sinners, living in a constant atmosphere of weakness and imperfection, can form none but the most inadequate conceptions of the hideousness of evil. The deaf man cannot distinguish between a penny organ and a, and, and a cathedral organ. And fallen man can have no just idea what a vile thing sin is in the sight of God, whose handiwork is absolutely perfect. Ryle's saying, we're, we're swimming in the sea of sin. We don't know how heinous it is because we're so immersed in it. But God sees the heinousness and the evil of it. And he's driving that home to Joshua here, driving it home to the people of Israel and to us. We need to learn to see the world the way he sees the world and to see our sin the way he sees our sin and all its hideousness before him. Well, if this is the sinfulness of sin, we again then see the cost. We've already seen part of this cost of, of Israel's sin. God has, has already uh, caused them to lose this battle against Ai. But Joshua goes, uh, God goes on to tell Joshua what this is going to cost them. Verses 12 to 13. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You see the logic of what God is saying there to Joshua. He's saying, You cannot expect covenant blessings without covenant faithfulness. You cannot harbor a man who's committed treason and still expect me to be with you and bless you. Their faithlessness, the people's faithlessness, has forfeited God's blessing. And there's an important principle for us to see here. God's people, we as the church, cannot and should not expect God's blessing if we're not living according to God's law. We shouldn't expect to flourish and grow as a church if we're not keeping His law, if we're not, if we're not striving after holiness. Right? We, 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 we often speak of how we wish we saw more growth, um, uh, we, we wish we saw more fruit and results, and, and we think, well, maybe we need better strategies, and, and maybe we do. Maybe we need to uh, pray more, and of course we need to pray more. But, but what is the principle here? You must be holy. God's people must be holy and pursuing holiness with Him, to, uh, holiness to Him, if they are going to see His prospering of His mission for them to be faithful, to be fruitful. So God says, You're, you need to cleanse this people. You need to purify yourselves of this sin. And this isn't just an Old Testament idea either. Uh, we saw this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, that chapter we read earlier from Paul, um, uh, speaking of, of the need for the Corinthian church to do this very same thing. 
right? Not, not in the same way that Israel did because uh, Israel was a theocracy, but now Paul uh, is commanding the Corinthian church to practice church discipline, to take this uh, unholy person and, and discipline him by removing him from the people of God. And so purge the, purging the sin from among them in order that this person might repent and be restored. But it's the same principle there. God is commanding uh, uh, the Corinthian church through Paul, put away the sinner from among you, even as he's telling the people of Israel here, cleanse yourselves of the sinful person among you. God calls us. God calls us to be a holy people. To be holy the way He is holy. And He shows us here the cost of unholiness. And it's judgment. God tells Joshua in verse 15 what's going to happen to the one who sinned. He's going to be devoted to destruction. So because Achan took the devoted things, the things devoted to God, Achan is going to be devoted to destruction now. Not only for himself, it's for his whole, it's, it's, for, it's going to be for his whole family. Brothers and sisters, as we, as we consider this, uh, sin costs no less now uh, in the New Covenant administration than it did in the Old. And we read a story like this and we can say, well, that's the Old Testament. But brothers and sisters, sin is still sin and God is still holy. And so we must uh, uh, strive after holiness, even as God commanded His people to be holy. We should not expect God to be with us and bless us if we are not striving to live holy lives before Him. So, we've seen here the cost of sin. It's cost Israel a battle. It's cost them some lives. And it's cost them God's blessing on their mission that He's given them in this conquest. But, but He's called them to be holy. And, and so he, now we're going to see Him make a way for His people to be holy. Now we're going to see Him cleanse Israel in an act of judgment that is also mercy. And that's what we see in our second point, the rest of the chapter, verses 16 to 26, the cleansing of Israel. God has given Joshua instructions for how he's to find out who committed this sin. That's what we see here. He, he is to take the whole nation and, and bring out each tribe, and from each tribe to bring out, uh, from the tribe that's selected to bring out the clan, from the clan to bring out the household, from the household to bring out the man, and then that one finally selected uh, uh, will be the one who is guilty here, and he'll be devoted to destruction. Joshua announces this to the people. They know this is going to happen the next morning. Now, it's interesting. If you're Achan, are you thinking that you can hide? It's curious. He doesn't, he doesn't come forward and say, well, it was me, and seek, seek God's uh, uh, mercy for him. Does Achan think this process won't work? That maybe someone else committed a sin too and he'll be taken instead? Or someone's just going to be randomly selected by this, by this process? Hasn't Achan seen God working? Shouldn't he know uh, that, that he will be found out? Why doesn't Achan seek mercy? What if he had confessed? Would the Lord have shown him mercy? Would not the Lord who showed mercy to a pagan prostitute from Jericho show mercy to a repentant son of Israel? But the night passes. Achan doesn't come forward and confess. And then the next morning comes and the trial begins and Achan sees his tribe chosen and then his clan chosen and his household chosen. Why doesn't he come forward? It seems like he's not repentant. He's hiding from 
the Lord. He's, he's refusing to come forward and confess. Finally, in verse 18, the lot falls on him. He can hide no more. Joshua knows what he's done, but he asks him, he asks him to give a full confession. It's interesting the way he addresses him. My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. He says, you have failed to give glory to God. Now give glory to God. You've taken what belonged to God for yourself. Now glorify God by confessing your sin. So Achan confesses. As he does so, we hear this echo of, uh, of the temptation of Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Achan says that he saw, he desired, he took. Just like Eve. He saw something and he desired it and he took it for himself. He took what God commanded him not to take. Something that was reserved for God alone, these devoted things. He took a robe, he took some gold, he took some silver. He hides, he, he takes it in secret, he hides it in his tent. Joshua then, hearing the confession, sends messengers. They go, they get it, they confirm the story, they bring it back. And then all Israel takes him, all his possessions, all his family, and they take them outside the camp to the Valley of Achor. That means trouble, the Valley of Trouble. And in verse 25, Joshua says, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So the, fun, the punishment fits the crime. He took what was devoted to destruction. He's devoted to destruction. They're stoned. They're burned. All of them. His whole family and all that he has. There's a grave warning for us here, isn't there? We can't... I think the heap of stones is left there over Achan and his family to be a warning to the people of Israel. We can't, you know, on our commute to work, drive past the heap of stones and, and take the warning to heart. But we have this here, right, in God's Word, this written warning for us. Now, the temptation that came to Achan comes also to us. The sin that he, that he uh, ran after is a is sin that we also are tempted to run after. And it... it it functions so much the same way, right? It, it, it looks good. It looks like there's going to be a reward and a blessing here. And we can make excuses and say, well, it doesn't really matter. No one's really going to notice. It's not really going to affect anybody else. I've, I've earned it, really, with my obedience, my, the part that I've played. We need to be on guard against these things. This is where sin ends. It ends in regret and misery and, and destruction. There's no reward to it. So keep that in mind as, as temptation comes, as sin comes and, and, and wants to have you. Remember Achan. But more importantly, listen to verse 26. This is, the, this is vital to see here at the end of this chapter. Verse 26, So the Lord turned from the fierceness of His anger. It, literally, you could translate it, the Lord turned from His burning anger. Remember how the chapter began back in verse 1. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel, but now the Lord turned from His burning anger. The people have moved from wrath to grace. God, is, God has turned from His anger and His wrath towards them. How did this happen? How, how is the wrath of God satisfied? Well, the people were cleansed. The, they were purged of sin. They were once again made holy to the Lord by the full payment of the cost of their sin. What does this point us to? Well, it points us to our Lord Jesus Christ. The cost for sin that we see here in Achan's story 
is the cost of his life. He has to pay the full price for the sin he's committed, which is death. This is how the people of Israel are cleansed. Well, how, how are we cleansed? We're cleansed by the full price being paid by our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comes, and, and he comes as the righteous one, the holy one. And he bears our guilt and takes the, the, the penalty that we are owed. And, and he is devoted to destruction for our sakes, made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that in him we might be made holy. And so as this, as this chapter ends, we see this pointing us again to Christ and how he is the one who makes us holy by his own sacrifice. He cleanses Israel by laying down his life. We also need to see here, though, as we close, that he has made us holy, declared us to be holy, and he's also called us to live holy lives, to live holy to the Lord, devoted to the Lord, And so we need to take heed of that message also in this text, even as we run to Christ, what Achan should have done, confessing, repenting, running to God for mercy, what we see his opposite, Rahab doing the chapter before, we need to do running to Christ for mercy and seeking, uh, putting our trust in the one who has paid the price for us. At the same time, we also need to strive after holiness by the grace of God to, to cleanse ourselves, of every defilement of body and spirit, as Paul writes in Second uh, Corinthians seven one, is that is that your ambition and your desire and your goal to be more holy to the Lord, to, to 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 be more faithful to the Lord, to be more fully devoted to the Lord, to keep yourself from trying to take what belongs to God for yourself. How do we do this? How do we come to see the heinousness of sin? How do we come to see the sin that lurks within us that, that we're so oblivious to so much of the time? Make it, make it your prayer. Pray uh, with the psalmist. Uh, uh, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Go to God's Word. Study His Word. Examine your life in the light of His Word and say, Lord, show me my sin and work holiness in me. Pray that God would make you as holy as you can be. Go and see what God's Word says. God's Word doesn't just tell us what to believe. It also says, what do the Scriptures principally teach? What we are to believe and what we are to do. What duty God requires of us. So we also need to study our duty before God. Go to the moral law of God and and ask the Spirit to give you strength to understand and keep the commandments given there. Let us pursue holy lives with all our confidence in the holiness of Christ, but pursuing holiness as those in Christ, brothers and sisters. Let us give the covenant Lord what is owed to him and seek his grace to do it. And may God be with us and bless us with his presence and power for the mission he's placed us on as we strive to do this by his spirit. Let's pray together.